0: Well, the waiting is over. The day is here. The day has come uh, for the Holy Spirit to show up. This is Jesus crowning his earthly ministry by sending his Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to see today. Jesus crowns his earthly ministry. All the work that he's done and all that he has accomplished He crowns it with the sending of his Holy Spirit. His earthly ministry begins as the God-man steps into his creation. The creation that he holds together, the creation that he spoke into being, he himself steps into it and becomes a part of his creation. He took onto himself what he was not while remaining what he was. Meaning, he, God, creator, Jesus, steps into creation, taking onto himself humanity, which he was not, while maintaining what he was, which was divinity. The God-man comes and lives a sinless life. Though he was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet he was without sin. Satan threw everything that he had at him. He did his best to cause him to fall, to stumble, yet he walked this life. He obeyed God without falling without stumbling in perfect obedience thereby earning okay thereby earning a righteousness that we can now be given that we can ha- have given or imputed to us not only does he live that perfect life, but the, the, part, the biggest part of his earthly ministry is then going to the cross and dying a brutal crucifixion, get, getting put on uh, illegal mock trials and being sentenced to one of the most painful deaths ever created by humanity. He dies on the cross, dying our death. So, so when we look to the cross, we see our death there. In God's universe, here's what he says. The wages of sin is what? Death. Yet Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry takes our eternal death onto himself, bears the weight and the fury of God's wrath being poured out upon him, and he doesn't stop there. They take his body down and they put his body in the tomb. And what happens three days later, he, he shows the world his vindicating resurrection. You see, it looked like the king was defeated. It it looked like that Satan had won. It looked like that death had won. It looked like that sin had won on the cross. But he shows that to not be true. He shows I'm actually the victorious king who hangs on the cross. And he shows that by coming back to life three days later. I am the risen king, victorious over sin, Satan, death, demons. And he doesn't stop. There, he spends 40 days with his disciples, teaching them, training them, appearing to them, showing them how the entire Old Testament is all about him. And then we saw in Acts where he ascends to show them where he's seated now. At the right hand of the Father, seated in power, ruling and reigning over the entire universe and showing in which way he's going to return in the same way. And he doesn't stop there. He sends his Holy Spirit. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. The crown to His earthly ministry, the sending of His Spirit. In John chapter 15, verse 5, He says, Apart from Me, you can do what? You remember? Nothing. Here's what's very interesting, though. (laughs) He says that in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, apart from Me, you can do nothing. Later on, He says, go into all the nations, Making disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he leaves. Okay, if apart from me you can do nothing and I tell you to do something and then I leave, how are they supposed to do what he's telling them to do? He sends the Spirit. That's how they're supposed to do what he told them to do apart from him because he sends his very spirit to empower them, empower them. So Jesus' earthly ministry, he himself intended to continue on. So when he ascends into heaven, Jesus is not done working. He's got more work to do. There there are more things that he wants to accomplish. There's there's a whole church that needs to be planted and grow and go and move and breathe and and make disciples and plant more churches. That's Jesus' plan. But he leaves, and his plan to see that carried out is by sending his spirit. So, So here's the question. How does Jesus continue his earthly ministry? Spirit-filled people in the local church. Let me say that again. How does Jesus intend to see his earthly ministry continue to go forward? He intends to do that through spirit-filled people in the local church. Let me show you that from Ephesians 3. 8 through 10, Ephesians 3, 8 through 10. Here the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus. Here's what he says: To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Okay, what, what grace was given to you, Apostle Paul? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring light to everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden? For ages in God. Okay, what's the plan of the mystery hidden in ages? Well, that's the gospel. That, that's the good news that Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to die the death that we should have died in our place for our sins, thereby providing a way of salvation to God's children and people. That, that's, what, that's the mystery that's hidden in the ages. Verse 10. So that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God now may be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's the plan to see God's, Jesus's mission on earth continue to go forward? Spirit filled people in the church, the gospel going out. And the church is the mechanism or the church is the way or mode to see the manifold wisdom of God be made known to the whole world. Now, when I think about this text, okay, what's God's plan to to see his ministry keep going? What's God's plan to see disciples made, to to see converts, to see churches planted? What's his plan? How's how's he going to do that? Well, his plan is to do that through the church. And I think to myself, my church? The people in my church? I can barely get them to show up on time. (laughs) Better yet, through me, God? Your plan is through me and through my church? I mean, I am a total mess. I mean, there's got to be a better plan. I mean, I've got one foot firmly planted in pride and the other foot firmly planted in insecurity. It just depends on what day you catch me. (laughs) One day I think I've got it all together. The other day I am so scared about what you guys are going to think about me. And I'm thinking, I'm the plan? You guys are the plan? And he says, I'm sending my spirit I'm sending my spirit to empower you, to fuel you. We're going to get it done. Don't worry. Don't worry. Your church is messed up. You're messed up. But I'm sending my spirit to fuel the mission, to empower the mission, to see the gospel go out, to see disciples made, to see churches planted. Don't worry. I've got it. Amen? That's, that's what he says. So I look out across this room, and I can declare with all certainty that the Holy Spirit is alive in dwelling as people and working at Gospel Community Church. I look across this room and I see men and women who have battled with addictions. And I see them walk in victory. I see men who have struggled with pornography, alcoholism. I see all of... the the different types of problems that that men in this very room have struggled with and and are walking in victory in, And, and you say, how? The Holy Spirit's here, and he's at work. I look across the room, and I see marriages that were talking about divorce, men and women who were ready to throw in the towel and be done, be done with their marriage but they're here today holding hands and they will sing together and they will take communion together and they will pray over each other during communion. How is this possible? How is it happening? It's not me. The Holy Spirit is here and he's working and he's doing stuff. This means that today we are living in the age Of the power of the Spirit. And my question to you this morning is, do you live in the light of this reality? The Spirit is here. The Spirit is working. The Spirit is powerful. He's working even in this church this morning, today, right now. My question is, are you living in the reality that the Holy Spirit is powerful? The Holy Spirit is active. He's working. He's moving. He's breathing. Are you living in that reality? Do you believe that you can do ministry way beyond your means to do ministry? (laughs) Do you believe that you can do ministry? You can be a vital part of the kingdom of God way beyond your talents, your abilities, and, and way beyond anything you thought you could ever do? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Trust me, I've seen it happen in this church. I've seen men, I've seen women who lack skill, ability, talent, even desire, totally shift gears and, and accomplish amazing things for the kingdom of God. I'm tell, I, I, you want to know why I love my job and I would not trade it for a billion dollars? Because I get a front row seat to see all of that. The Holy Spirit's alive, He's working. He's moving, he's breathing, he's doing stuff. And, and, and I think um, one of the greatest problems, one of the biggest problems in the church today, if not the biggest problem in the church today, is self-sufficiency. Is only doing ministry out of what we have to do ministry out of. Here are the funds that we have, and here's the talent that we have, so let's just do ministry in this little circle. Let's not think out beyond, well, we can't afford this. We're not talented enough to do this. We're stepping into an area to where we have no idea what we're doing. The church, again, I think it's one of the biggest problems in the church today if not the biggest problem, is we look at what we have. Here's the money we have, here's the people we have, here's the talent we have, so we're only going to stay right here. We're afraid to dream big, we're afraid to, to look at something, we're afraid to look at Mount Everest and go, yep, we can do that. Why? Because the Spirit's alive, it's not us. The Spirit's alive, the Spirit's working God, God sent his spirit here to indwell us, to live in us, to empower us for the mission that he set before us so, so we could do this. We, we can say our mission field, our goal is to see all of Fayetteville radically transformed by the gospel. Well, that seems, you know, that seems like a, a pipe dream. I mean, that, that's to see a whole city changed. Spirit can do it. To, to see men and women coming to Christ, making disciples, planting more churches, to seeing more people with addictions, free from those addictions, see more marriages saved, to, to, to see more of what God is already doing. Spirit's powerful. He can do it. So here's my goal today. I'm excited today. I don't know if you guys picked that up or not. <laughs> I want to show you that the Spirit has come. We're gonna see in the text tongues of fire, sound of a mighty rushing wind, the Spirit comes. I I, want to show you in the text today that the Spirit has come, that he indwells his people and is working powerfully to advance the gospel through the church. I I, I want you to see the Spirit comes. He he shows up. He, He now indwells people, God's people. He he lives inside of us. We are the temple now. We are the sanctuary. He indwells the people. And then what that does is it empowers them for what? Gospel proclamation, okay? Speaking the wonders of the, the mighty God, gospel proclamation and church planting, that that they then move out from there and churches are planted everywhere. All of the devout men from all over the world who are Jews are there. They hear the gospel and it it explodes out of Jerusalem all throughout Rome, all throughout the world, okay? That's what I want you, that's my goal today, okay? Now, I have a secondary goal. You guys still with me? My secondary goal is I want you to be really excited about what I just said. The Spirit has come. The Spirit is empowering His people for gospel proclamation and church planting and ministry beyond our wildest dreams, and I want you to be really excited about that. I want you to see that the Spirit has come. I want you to see He's indwelling. I want you to see He's working, He's moving, He's doing stuff, and that you can be a part of that, and I want that to light you on fire, and I want you to be so excited for ministry. I want you to be so excited about the church. Now, I think, I think I can get my first goal done. I think I can. I'm gonna do my best to, to get the first goal done. I, I think I can show you in the text. The second part will have to be a work of the Spirit. So I'm, I'm preaching about the Spirit working, and right now I'm praying the Spirit works, and he, and he lights you ablaze to, to see how exciting it is that we have the Spirit today, here, this morning, right now, Here, in you, in me, working, moving, doing stuff. Verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost is a Jewish holiday. Um, So, the the Jewish holiday had arrived. This feast was held exactly 50 days after Passover. Okay, 50, hence Pentecost. It's held 50 days, exactly 50 days after Passover. So, if you're keeping score um, at at home, what had happened was uh, Jesus uh, is crucified and resurrected on Passover. Okay, he spends 40 days with his disciples, He ascends, they wait for 10 days. They're in that waiting period between Old Covenant, New Covenant. They're in that whole, they're just waiting 10 days, day of Pentecost, spirit comes. The the spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. Um, This is also known as the feast of the first fruits. So here's what's been happening. They have been planting Um, They've been growing their crops all season, and then they have this big festival 50 days after Pentecost where they go and they select some of the first fruits of their harvest, and and they throw a big party. It's a big feast, and they they get the first fruits. Why? Well, because uh, whatever that crop tastes like, whatever the first fruits taste like, it's a picture or a sign of what all the rest of the crop is going to taste like. Okay, so, so if you've planted a big giant field of corn, you, you go out and you take two ears and you taste it and it's really sweet, that's an indicator that all the rest of your corn is going to be sweet. It's, a, it's the first fruits. They're, they're, they're celebrating that first fruits. What's the significance here? Why the day of Pentecost? Right? Did, there's lots of Jewish holidays. Is God just picking them at random? Here's a fun one. Jesus is showing us that he is celebrating his first fruits. He comes, he lives the life, he dies the death, then what happens? He sends his powerful Holy Spirit. There is powerful preaching, there is spirit-filled men who stand and preach and proclaim this gospel, and 3,000 people get saved as the first fruits of Jesus' ministry. What's happening today? The same thing. Men are are, are all around this country, all around the world today, gathering in churches, gathering in homes, hiding places in in some countries, and they are spirit-filled, preaching the gospel, and men and women are getting saved. We see it here in Acts, and it's happening here today. We see the first fruits of the harvest, and the harvest is continuing on today. Spirit-filled, gospel-preaching, people getting saved. That's the significance The day of Pentecost had arrived. The the day of the first fruits had arrived. And and, and it's this indicator of of what the rest of the the church, what the rest of Jesus' ministry is going to be like. So, the day of Pentecost had arrived. In addition, this is also significant because it's essentially reverse evangelism. Okay? Okay. It's reverse evangelism. Evangelism is, is what we think of going out to share the gospel. What happened at the day of Pentecost was it was one of three Jewish holidays to where um, Jewish people from all over the world would gather in Jerusalem. The, the streets are flooded with out-of-towners. There are people from all over, just Jewish people everywhere. Everywhere you turn, Jewish peoples have gathered in. Literally millions have flooded into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate um, this great holiday. So God has strategically, purposely chosen this very holiday. Why? Because the gospel is going to be proclaimed, and then all the out-of-towners, what are they going to do? They're gonna go back home and they're gonna carry that gospel message to the ends of the earth. So it's significant. Jesus is showing, I'm I'm, I'm showing a harvest of my first fruits and um, I'm getting my gospel to spread and to go and to grow, okay? So the day of Pentecost had arrived. God has a purposeful and intentional plan for the day of Pentecost and for your life and mine. Verses two and three. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound. It was a a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Okay, this is the point um, where the conservatives get really nervous and my charismatic brothers get really excited Okay, so um, I want to talk about what's happening here. We know that they were together, okay? We we know that from Acts chapter 1. We know that from Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. What are they doing when they're together? Again, we we know from Acts chapter 1, they're praying, okay? Okay. They they were continually praying. They were together. Again, they're in that waiting time. What are they doing in that period of waiting? Well, they're waiting for God to come. They're, they're, They're praying fervently, earnestly, and all of a sudden, it sounds like a locomotive is going through the living room, okay? Now, they didn't know what a locomotive was, but it sounded like one. A, a mighty rushing wind or the sound of it. It sounded like a tornado. It sounded like a locomotive speeding by your face just inches away from your nose. That's what it sounded like. And not only did they hear it, but then they saw it. What, what did they see? Well, um, it, it, it looked like um, fire coming down from heaven in a big giant pillar and then it, it splits apart and and then the, like little tiny fires set over the heads of each of the disciples and they seem to sit there and dance. So, so they, they heard it and they saw it. What's happening here, okay? The, again, this sounds really strange. I, I've never seen something like this, have you? Maybe you have. We should talk after. What's happening here? I mean, it seems strange and odd. When you look at it, again, a lot of people like to just ignore this text altogether because it's weird. Other people are just too drawn to it because it's weird. Okay. So what's happening here? What's what's the deal with the wind and the fire? And why have we forgotten about earth? Moving right along. The old people got that one. You young people didn't get it. It's okay. It's okay. Older. Did I say old? I meant older. Sorry. Moving along. Why the wind and the fire? Why the wind and the fire? What, what's happening? Okay. While there is a level of mystery in the majesty, it also makes a lot of sense. Okay. While there is a mystery in the majesty, there is a, it is mysterious. God is mysterious. But what's happening here also makes a lot of sense, and I want to explain that to you because what's happening here is oftentimes in the Bible, this is how God shows his presence. All throughout the Old Testament, when God shows up and does something, there's usually some wind or there's some fire. It's it's how he does it. Um, Remember in Ezekiel chapter 37, when God tells Ezekiel to preach to the valley of dry bones, he says, Okay, he preaches, and all of a sudden, they they start snapping together, the bone upon bone. They all come together, and then flesh comes upon them, but they're still standing there looking like a bunch of zombies. Ezekiel's freaked out. What do I do now? God says, keep preaching again. He preaches again, and a mighty rushing wind sweeps across that army, and they go, and breath and life fill their lungs. God showed up in the mighty rushing wind. In 2 Kings, how does Elijah get taken up to heaven? In the mighty rushing, he's walking along. Hey, how you guys doing? All of a sudden, mighty rushing wind. God shows up and says, I'm here. I'm doing something. What does he do? He carries him up to heaven. And in addition, when God is done flooding the earth in Genesis chapter 8, A mighty wind blows over the whole earth and the rain stops. God shows up, oftentimes in the Bible, in a mighty rushing wind to let people know I'm here and I'm doing something. What about the fire? What about the the weird tongues of fire? Well, how does he speak to Moses in Exodus chapter 3? And what type of bush is it? One that's on fire. Yes, a burning bush. God shows up. He's doing something. In addition, how does God lead the children of Israel through the desert at nighttime? A giant pillar of fire. In addition, when he shows up to speak to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, he shows up as a giant, burning, consuming fire. While it is mysterious, while it is majestic, it also makes a whole lot of sense. He's given us a pattern for what he likes to do and how he's going to do it. He, he's saying, I'm here and I'm doing something. So that begs the question what's he doing? <laughs> In the burning bush, he was telling Moses to go do something. When he blows over the whole earth, he's telling the rain to stop. I mean, what's he doing here? What, why, the, why the theatrics? Why is he shown up in this way here at this time, in this moment? Here's my answer. God is transitioning his people from his old covenant promise to his new covenant promise made possible by the cross, and he is using this event to show it has occurred. Okay? He, he is taking his people. He's transitioning his people from his old covenant way of working or his old promise. Okay? Here, here was our old promise. I'm, I'm making a shift or a transition into a new promise with you guys, which was made possible by the cross. And he's using this event to show it's done. Transition has happened. We're not in the transition period anymore. It's done. Happened. Okay. I want to take this statement in two parts. Part one, God is transitioning his people from the old covenant promise to new covenant promise. May possible by his cross. That's part one I want to look at. Part two, he's using the event to show it has occurred. Part one. God is transitioning his people from his old covenant promise to his new covenant promise. Okay. What's the difference? What's the difference? There there are several, okay? I want to hone in on one. What changes in the New Testament is how the Spirit works, how the Spirit works. In the Old Testament, the Spirit works in the world, okay? And here's how he does it. He rests on some only for a time. He rests on some, not all of God's children did the Spirit rest on, he rests on some only for a time, meaning the Spirit would show up, empower somebody to do something, and then the Spirit would leave. He, he would go back. So he would rest on David. David would do something awesome. He'd write a cool song or kill a giant, and then the Spirit would go. Or he would, he would show up um, to, to this person or that person, to Samson, and help Samson do that, and then he would, the Spirit rests for a moment, but he doesn't stay. The new covenant, however, is the, the total transition for that. Something was purchased at the cross. Something was done at the cross. What's done at the cross? Well, when Jesus declares it is finished, he means he has paid your sin debt, meaning his righteousness now. Okay, So, so you're justified at the cross. His righteousness now is now given to you, your body, your soul, your dwelling place is no longer nasty, dirty, filthy, vile, because if it still is, God can't dwell there. But what happens at the cross is his righteousness gets given to you, so now you are clean, holy, sanctified, justified, and will eventually be glorified before the Lord. So if you are made clean and holy, the Spirit can dwell. He can stay. He can empower you. He can keep empowering you. He can keep filling you. Amen? That's the transition. That's what's happening here from the way the Spirit used to work to the way the Spirit works now. God shows up. I'm I'm transitioning. It's made possible by the cross from the old covenant to the new covenant. That's what He's doing here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it clearly says that we are the temple of God. Why don't we need the temple in Jerusalem anymore? Because we're the temple now. The church is his temple. Our our bodies, we we are the temple of God now. We, We don't need the temple in Jerusalem anymore. We don't need the sacrifices. We don't need a dwelling place of God because as his children, we now have become the very dwelling place of God. Therefore, we should not be seeking another Pentecost. Okay? This was an event that occurred. Okay? It is not to be redone. It's never to be retracted. Okay? It's never to be retracted. The Holy Spirit's here. He's indwelling us. He's living inside of us. Okay? Okay? The, the Holy Spirit is not to be reenacted, or the, the, the day of Pentecost is not to be reenacted, nor is it to be retracted. We should not pray, God, give us another Pentecost. We don't need another crucifixion. We don't need another ascension, nor do we need another Pentecost. Amen? You guys understand what I'm saying? Okay. Here is what I mean. If you only seek the supernatural for experience's sake... You may love the experience more than you love Jesus and his spirit. Here is my word to my hyper charismatic brothers and sisters Are are you seeking the goosebumps of the experience, or are you seeking Jesus and the power of his spirit? Okay? Are you just wanting the high and the experience and, and let's get everybody whipped up into a frenzy and, and, and let's, let, let's, get this, let's do what we gotta do to get the spirit to show up so that we have this awesome experience with goosebumps and all kind of crazy stuff happens. Are you seeking the experience or are you seeking Jesus and the power of his spirit? Is it him that you want or you just want the goosebumps, okay? Now, I I want to make a clarification as well. There's nothing wrong with asking for the supernatural. The problem is when you neglect that you already have something supernatural happening right now, the Holy Spirit indwelling you now. Okay? So I would say to my very conservative brothers and sisters who, who are really scared and weird about supernatural stuff, ask for the supernatural. God, I want you to show up and do what only you can do. That's asking for the supernatural. That there's nothing wrong with asking for signs and wonders and miracles. But when you're seeking the experience more than you're seeking Jesus, that's a problem. Okay? So so I'm 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 talking to my my, my hyper charismatic brothers and sisters. I'm also talking to my my hyper conservative brothers and sisters. Okay. The Spirit's alive. He's still working. He's still moving. He's still breathing. He's still doing miracles today. Signs and wonders, yes. Okay, so God is transitioning his people. The transition has happened, meaning we don't need another Pentecost. And, and he is using this event to show that it has occurred. Okay, look back at two and three. Verse three specifically, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on what? On each one of them. Again, in the old covenant, the spirit would just show up to some only for a time. Here, each one of them have a tongue of fire resting over them, meaning the spirit has now come to all of his children and is now indwelling all of God's children, not just some, not just the really spiritual ones, not just the ones who read their Bibles every day, not just the ones who can look really spiritual and act really moral. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is now indwelling in you and empowering you for gospel ministry. So he's using this event to show that it has occurred. Okay, Wind, fire, divided tongues, Transitions happened, Holy Spirit now indwells in every believer everywhere all the time, okay? That's really, really exciting. Okay, verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, let's clarify when the New Testament, when the Bible talks about tongues, it has two things in mind, okay? It has two things in mind when it's talking about tongues. One is when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, and they speak in a language that is not understandable by any humans, meaning it is not one of the 6,000-plus known languages of mankind, okay? They're speaking in a language that is unknown to humans. No no human anywhere in any language can understand what they're saying. I've heard it called the language of the angels, a prayer language, okay? That's that's one thing that the Bible talks about when it talks about tongues. Now, um, that's not what it's talking about here. If you want to know what Gospel Community Church believes about that, you should come to our new members class. (laughs) Number two, the the second thing, the the, the second thing, Um, idea that the Bible has when it talks about tongues is this, is when the Holy Spirit fills someone and they can speak in a known human language that was previously unknown to them. That's what we see here, okay? That's what we see happening here. what, What happened was these disciples had never spoken in any other language. All of a sudden, they are fluently speaking in another language, That that would be like you. You've never taken a French lesson in your whole life. All of a sudden, boom, you are fluent in French, proclaiming the gospel. You are fluent in Spanish, proclaiming the gospel. That is the gift of tongues that we see exercised here. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What happened next? Okay, This is awesome. Verse 5 through 11. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, what sound? The sound of men preaching in other languages. At that sound. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them, hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontius, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues what? The mighty works of God. The city streets in Jerusalem are flooded with people. I mean, just people everywhere, just, just Jews from all over the world have come and have descended upon Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, there's a noise. There's a commotion. Okay? Think about um, YouTube videos of flash mobs in the mall. People are all around. People are everywhere. All of a sudden, a commotion happens. And, and what happens? Well, people go, hey, what's happening over here? Right? And, and everybody just kind of gathers, and, and they circle around, and, and they're looking and trying to see. And, and there's all kinds of different people there. And they are bewildered. Why? Because... These men are taking turns preaching the gospel, preaching the mighty works of God. And each man is here. He's going, man, I'm, I'm from Cyrene or I'm, I'm from Cappadocia, and I'm hearing this guy talk in my native language. And they're bewildered and amazed. Okay. Now, the question is, why? Why is this so curious? Were, was no one in the ancient world bilingual? I mean, was, nobody was? Why is it so curious that, that these guys are speaking in other languages? And why is it so curious that everybody is curious about why they're able to do that? Look back at the text. Look back at verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? A little history lesson. Um, the people from Galilee were seen as country bumpkins. Hillbillies, okay? They they were uneducated, not smart, not bilingual. How did they know that? Well, because they had Galilean accents. They're dressed like Galileans. They sound like Galileans in their accent, although they're speaking the language that those guys understand, okay? Let me just land this plane for us here where we are. I want you to imagine a redneck, okay, in camo, Camo overalls with a southern thick accent speaking fluent French. Just think about that for a minute. Just, just, just think about um, a, a guy standing there with his Wranglers, a Carhartt jacket, okay, a dip of skull, and he's waxing poetic in Mandarin. Okay, Now, now do you see why they were bewildered and amazed? This was amazing. These guys were uneducated, hillbilly bumpkins speaking multiple different languages, proclaiming the the mighty works of God. And they still had their country bumpkin accents. They still looked like country bumpkins, but they're they're proclaiming in a mighty, powerful way. That's, That's what's happening Here in the text, this is showing us that God is able, ready, and willing to overcome any barrier to his gospel. He will use anybody he wishes, and he will overcome any obstacle, any barrier to his great gospel. I can't tell you how many barriers have been put in front of Gospel Community Church as we've been planted, as we've been moving forward. I had person after person tell me. Nobody's going to come to your church. We don't need any more churches. There are tons of churches around here. You'll, you'll never do this. This is going to fail. But God went out ahead. He used this country bumpkin. He went out ahead of us and, and knocked down barrier after barrier after barrier. And he continues to do it today. And, and because the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, he wants to do it in your life and ministry too. So, we should not view Acts chapter 2 as some weird, confusing experience to be ignored. Okay, that's to my hyper-conservative brothers. It is not some weird, confusing experience to be ignored. Or is it a passage to seek to replicate? But, as God is working through His Holy Spirit, He is seeing the gospel preached and disciples made. He is working by his Spirit through his disciples to see the gospel preached and to go out through the whole world. Look back at verse 5. I want you to see how incredibly stunning the work of God is. Verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. From every nation. From every nation. The nations had gathered. Why why am I really excited about this? Genesis chapter 22. Hundreds and hundreds of years before, here is what God says to Abraham. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, God pulls Abraham aside and says, dude, through you, I'm going to bless everybody. The whole world, all the nations. What do we see throughout the whole Old Testament, though? Is Israel a blessing to all the nations? Not really. They either kill other nations or get killed by other nations. That's pretty much how the Old Testament goes. But all of a sudden, everything begins to turn around. Do You remember when we walked through John? We walked through the book of John, and we saw time and time again in the Gospel of John, Jesus kept saying this phrase, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come. All of a sudden, some Gentiles, some, some dudes from other nations come to the disciples and they say, hey, we want to see Jesus. And so the disciples go to Jesus and say, Jesus, there's some guys from other nations here, there's some Gentiles here, and they want to they see you, they want to talk to you. And Jesus says this, my time has now come. And he goes to the cross and he dies Why? Because God's plan from the beginning has been a diverse multinational people for his possession. And here in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, he is fulfilling his promise, his diverse promise, his all peoples from all nations gathered together, singing to Jesus, praising Jesus in unity, not uniformity. The, The promise is getting fulfilled. And these devout men, some of them get saved. They go back to their hometowns. They go back to their homes. They tell their wives and daughters and and, and their children and their cousins and their employers. And the gospel begins to spread to every nation, everywhere, all over the world. Empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So God loves diversity. Diversity. And it has been his aim from the beginning, so it should be ours. God's aim is diversity. Our aim should be diversity. We we want want all types of different people together. Older people, young people, black people, white people, all peoples gathered together. My, My heart is that our church would look like our city. Does our city... Only have young white marrieds with kids? No. If you're here, young white married, I love you. Glad you're here. Keep coming. But if God's aim in His church is diversity, what should our aim be? What His aim is? In Acts chapter 5, I mean, in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, He's empowering us to see that happen. Again, what did I say in the beginning? I believe God can empower us to do ministry that seems impossible, right? Are we seeing this type of diversity in in the churches in this city, in Georgia, in the South? No. Okay, well, what's the solution? That's a really complex answer that, that would take a whole other sermon but, but let me tell you, getting different races, different ethnicities, different peoples, older people, younger people, black people, white people, Hispanic people, Korean people, getting all of them together, worshiping together, that's Mount Everest, okay? That's, that's going to be really hard to do. And God says, I sent you my spirit. I sent you my spirit. He'll, he'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll, he'll empower you. I sent, I sent you my spirit. Verses 12 through 13, and then I'm out of your hair. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this, this mean? Verse 13. But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. They stand and preach the gospel. They're given the gift of tongues. Men are hearing them in their own native languages. And the crowd is divided. When the gospel is preached, there's usually a division. There's one group and they're sincere. What what does this mean? What what what's going on here? What's happening? They're sincerely seeking to know what God is doing. How do I know they're sincerely seeking? Because they're juxtaposed to the group in verse 13. And others mocked. So the people in verse 12 are they're not mocking, they're sincerely wanting to know. What in the world is happening? But the other people in verse 13 saw a movement of the Spirit, saw the work of the Spirit. I mean, how can you deny this? Again, these guys, these Galileans, these uneducated men speaking in multiple different languages, the, the whole world okay, is gathered in Jerusalem, and everybody puts on the brakes and watches these guys. Something miraculous is happening. And they dismiss it. They throw it aside. They they push it to the back burner. They mock it. These guys are drunk. They're drunk. No way. It interrupted their normal mode of religious activity, which the Spirit loves to do, by the way. It interrupted their normal mode of religious activity, and so they mock it, they push it to the back burner, and they move on. They mock it and leave. So, are you running through a religious routine or are you asking and waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit? These people were not excited. They were not excited that the Holy Spirit had come. They were not excited that the power of the Spirit was there waiting. All they needed to do, have faith in Jesus, boom. They're indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit and on a trajectory of powerful ministry and mission. It was right there for them, but they weren't excited about it, didn't care about it. They mocked it and moved on. It interrupted them. It interrupted their plans and what they wanted to do and the path that they wanted to go on. Are you excited that we are living in the age of the power of the Spirit? Don't you know Abraham was longing to see this day? Moses was longing to see this day. All the prophets were, were proclaiming that this day, today, today would come. They were saying the Spirit's coming, the Spirit's coming. There's going to be this age, this beautiful age where the Spirit is going to indwell all of the people and ministry is going to go out powerfully and men and women are going to dream dreams and prophesy and preach and speak boldly and addictions are going to be broken and marriages are going to be healed and all this amazing stuff is going to happen. They were telling about it, telling about it, and they were so excited. And here we sit today and we're in it, people. That We're here. We're We're there. there? Are are you excited about this? Is, Is this exciting to you at all? Or are you like the people in verse 13 who dismiss it, mock it, and move on with their regular routine? Two closing thoughts and I'm out of your way. Number one, are you praying for the Holy Spirit's power in your life and in your ministry? We have we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who empowers for ministry. And we need to pray for that to flow out of us with power. Band, band members of Gospel Community Church, are you praying that the Holy Spirit flow out of you in power as you lead worship? Tech team, are, are you praying the Holy Spirit power to flow out of you as, as you as you? Move around the new soundboard. Greeters, are you praying that the Holy Spirit comes out in power as you greet new people? And as new people come into the church, and, and, and are you praying that Holy Spirit, just make them feel welcome. We, we want them to come in and hear the gospel. Would you just flow out of me, Holy Spirit? Children's workers, community group leaders, community group members, church members, are you praying in your life and in your ministry? Holy Spirit, we need your power. You came, you came, Acts chapter two. You're here, you're here, you're working, you're moving. You're indwelling me and I need you. Are you praying regularly for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and ministry? And number two, are you praying for the Holy Spirit's power in the life of this church? I do not want to be a self-sufficient church. I refuse. I, I want... I want so desperately to say, "Holy Spirit, we're willing to be interrupted by you. You interrupt us anytime you want, and you lead us anywhere you want us to go and give us the courage and the grace to follow you. Are you praying? Are you praying that the Holy Spirit would show up in this church in power, in power? to see this room filled with lost people and people who are far from God, to see us go to multiple services, multiple campuses, not for the sake of having a big awesome show, but for the sake of lots of people worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus, serving Jesus. Are you praying for addictions to be broken? Are you praying for marriages to be healed through the power of the Holy Spirit? Again, how does Jesus want to see his ministry continue to go out, spirit-filled people, that's you, spirit-filled people through his local church. The spirit is here, and that's really, really exciting. Let me pray for us. Father, um, I'm, I'm so, so excited I get to pray to you through the power of the Spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm praying to you right now in the power of the Spirit. I'm going I'm to close my prayer in Jesus' name, but right now I'm praying to you through the power of the Spirit. That, that's so exciting, so exciting. I pray for spirit-filled, powerful ministry to come through and from Gospel Community Church. I pray for men and women, uneducated, educated, Smart, not so smart, young, older, all types of people coming together, celebrating you, worshiping you, filled with the Spirit and doing mighty, mighty, huge works through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we need we need your Spirit. Your Spirit has come. Your Spirit is working to see people come to know you, your spirit is working to see disciples made. Your spirit is working to plant churches, and we just want to be a part of it. So we ask that you come. We, um, we, we reject um, and, and we renounce um, any, any place or any spot of self-sufficiency. God, show us where we're resting in our self-sufficiency and, 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 and rebuke us if need be so that we are resting in the power of the Spirit that, that we're preaching and proclaiming the mighty deeds and works of God. God, we ask for miraculous works. We ask for power. Um, we, we ask for signs. We, we, wanna, we want it. We're excited about it. And we know that, that we're seeing that now. We're seeing it now. That, that you're showing us so much and you're here and you're, I, just, I wanna say thank you, thank you for all the work that you've done here through your spirit. And we just wanna see a whole lot more, a whole lot more